All right, good morning, Central. How is everyone? Awesome. You're good over there, aren't you? That's what I'm talking about. Hey, if you're joining us online this morning on our Facebook Live page or our website, we're so glad you're joining us this morning. We pray that, that the Lord ministers to you wherever you are. If you're in our overflow room this morning, thanks for joining us. If you're out in the concourse, sitting at a table or on a couch, uh, we're, we just want to welcome you officially this morning. Uh, I hope you know this morning, if you are in Christ, how deeply loved you are by God. Even when you're knuckleheads, God still deeply, deeply loves you. So feel that love this morning. Uh, and do me a favor, take out your Bibles. I hope everyone brought a Bible. If you're at home, take out your Bible. I want you to turn to two Old Testament books. They're going to be up on the screen. Jeremiah 31 and Ezekiel 36. We'll leave that up there just for a second. Jeremiah 31. So if you go back in the Old Testament, you find the book of Psalms, which is usually right in the middle of your Bible. Take a right turn, go a few books to the right. If you're on your iPhone, just, <laughs> that's cheating, that's okay. Uh, go a few, a few books to the right, you're going to find Jeremiah Lamentations and then Ezekiel. We're going to jump into, into those books here in just, just a moment. We're continuing a series called Extraordinary. It's a, it's a study in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, which is found in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and seven, and we're also starting a six-week life group study uh, this week. And if you are in an adult life group, you're going to be going through this curriculum. Pastor Neil and his team put this together. Uh, it's it's a great daily study for six weeks. Uh, you're going to be we're going to be uh, doing nothing different on Sunday mornings. The lessons you learn on Sunday mornings are going to be the things you're learning and talking about in your life groups for the next six weeks. If you are not a part of a life group and you'd like to be part of a life group, you still can. So there's a table out the middle doors to the left. Neil should be out there or one of his team members. If you'd like to be in a group, they can connect you in a group. If you'd like to start a group, uh, you can get a group started. Just talk to Neil if you want to get involved, all right? All right. Um, where do we go from here? Those are the announcements. So, yeah, I'm going to read this morning our text, which in Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, uh, verses 17 to 20. So if you, if you have the ability to mark two places in your Bible and go to Matthew, uh, if you're really coordinated like that, Matthew 5, 17. We continue in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, don't misunderstand why I have come down from heaven. I didn't come to abolish or do away with the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose or fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until everything is accomplished. So if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And then verse 20, the verse we're really going to study today. But Jesus says, I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law, the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Lord, this morning, I pray you not only bless the reading of the word, but the teaching of the word. And, and Holy Spirit, I pray that you would open every heart that's here, every heart that's listening to your truth and help us to understand this, this concept of grace and a new covenant. I pray you'd help us to understand that this morning in Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever overlooked a detail in life and it had severe consequences? Maybe you were filling out a form and you left something off the form. Maybe it was a tax form of some kind and you missed something and, and you, had to, you had to pay a price at some point. Maybe you missed a deadline. You, you didn't hand something in on time. Uh, you, you missed the deadline and therefore you were, you, you, it came back and, and bit you. 
Um, for me, uh, a few months ago, my wife Charlene and I were traveling to California, and I didn't realize that my driver's license had expired. Uh, I, I didn't remember getting anything in the mail or email about that, and uh, by this time, uh, it was over 30 days expired, so that means you can't do it online. You have to actually go in physically and take the test and do all that stuff. So uh, I didn't know that. We go to the airport, and the gate agent, when we're checking in, uh, didn't catch it, so they send us up to security, and the TSA agent didn't catch it. And so they sent us right onto the airplane. And so we fly to California and we land and we go to the rental car agency and they catch it. <laughs> How many of you know you can't drive without a, uh, a license that isn't expired? And so we were there for a week. Shirlene had to do all of the driving that week. I couldn't, I couldn't help. I couldn't drive at all, which wasn't a train wreck. It was a little bit of, of an in inconvenience for her. But the thought, what if I was traveling alone? If I'm traveling alone for a week in California and to, a round trip from where I'm staying in the hotel to my mom's house is about 180 miles. So try, try paying for Lyft or Uber, 180 miles, uh, or a taxi around LA, it's just, just crazy expensive. So uh, you, you miss the, the deadline, you, you miss an expiration date, and it can really mess you up if you overlook that. And that's the problem that the Pharisees and the scribes were having with Jesus. They, they overlooked a significant key concept in the Old Testament. And that concept was the new covenant. The prophets had spoken about the new covenant. When Jesus came, the, the whole Sermon on the Mount is about the new covenant. It's, it's, about, it's about the new covenant that allows us to enter God's kingdom. The scribes and Pharisees were still operating under the old covenant. And so we're going to read together in, in, in Jeremiah chapter 31 and then in, in Ezekiel 36, the prophets talking about the day that's coming when they're going to enter into the new covenant. And so Jeremiah 31, beginning in verse 31, the day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant, say new covenant, with the people of Israel and of Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. That was when Moses delivered them from Egypt and then God gave Moses the law, remember the Ten Commandments? Well, that was a, that was a, a covenant of law, a covenant of conditions. You do this, I'll do that. And then he goes on, he says, they broke that covenant, even though I love them as a husband loves his wife, says the Lord. But this new covenant, say new covenant, this new covenant I will make with the people of Israel after those days, says the Lord, I will put my instructions or my law deep within them and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. And they will not need to teach their neighbors nor will they need to teach their relatives saying, you should know the Lord because everyone will know me from the least to the greatest, says the Lord. I will forgive their wickedness and I will never again remember their sins. So again, new covenant, not based on law. That was the old covenant. When God brought the people out of, out of Egypt, gave Moses the law, conditional. You do this, you'll be blessed. You don't do this, you won't receive blessing. So Ezekiel chapter 36, beginning in verse 25, again, related to the new covenant, God says, then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. Your filth will be washed away and you will no longer worship idols, and I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart, and I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey 
my regulations, the new covenant. So Jesus is introducing the new covenant in the Sermon on the Mount. So, so verse, verse 20 is a key. I'm going to put it back up here this morning. Let's read it. Jesus says, I warn you, unless your righteousness is better or greater than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. That's a troubling verse to first century Jews. That's a problem because they're living in a nation, they're living in a culture where righteousness is based on keeping the rules. And the scribes and the Pharisees were the best rule keepers ever. They kept all of the rules. So Jesus says to the people, his disciples, unless your righteousness is greater than the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. They're going, wait a sec, what more do we have to do? Like they do everything, they keep the law perfectly. How can we keep it better than they do? The Pharisees were ridiculous related to the law. I mean, they kept it to every single detail. They tithed, that means they gave a tenth or 10% of everything they earned or all of their income whether that was financial income or agricultural income. So if they grew things in their garden, and in Matthew 20, 23, Jesus alludes to this with the Pharisees. He says, you, you, you tithe on mint leaves. So if they grew mint in their garden, they would, they would count the leaves from the harvest. Every tenth leaf they would give to the Lord, one to the Lord. If they, if they planted dill seed or cumin seed in their garden, when it, when it was harvested, they would count the seeds. Nine to the Lord, I'm sorry, nine for me and one for the Lord. I mean, to that detail, they gave a tenth of everything they brought in. Did you guys know there are 39 categories for Sabbath laws? Not 39 laws, 39 categories with laws and rules under each category. There, there were laws for everything you, you could or couldn't do on the Sabbath day. Laws about carrying things. It was okay to carry certain things in your home but you couldn't carry anything outside of your home. You, you couldn't carry uh, anything but your clothes. You couldn't carry a purse, you couldn't carry a bag, you couldn't, carry, you couldn't wear a watch. Anything besides the absolute necessities of what you were wearing, you couldn't carry. Uh, they got that from in, back when, when the children of Israel were, were in the wilderness and God gave them manna. Do you remember the manna that came down from heaven and they had to go and they had to gather it? Well, they only gathered the manna six days a week. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much as they needed so that on the Sabbath day, they didn't have to carry anything because you can't carry anything on the Sabbath. They had, they had laws about, about work and about, and about labor. Um, you, you, you couldn't repair things. You couldn't, you couldn't fix things. You couldn't do anything that came close. You couldn't sharpen a knife on the Sabbath. You couldn't wind a clock on the Sabbath day. If your, if your leather sandal strap broke, you couldn't repair it on the Sabbath. Shirlene and I were in Israel a few years ago, and we were in our hotel on the Sabbath. And on the Sabbath, the hotel, uh, the elevator automatically stops at every floor, automatically. Why? Because if you're going to the third floor and you push number three, that's work. You can't work on the Sabbath. So the elevator stopped automatically at every floor. Every other day you have to push the button, but not on the Sabbath because that's work. The Pharisees kept every detail of the law. Jesus comes along and says, unless your righteousness is better than theirs, you can't get into the kingdom. <laughs> what? What is he talking about? Well, he's not talking about an external righteousness of works. 
He's talking about an issue of the heart. He's talking about a righteousness that's inward, not outward. And uh, so we're going to talk this morning about what is, what is the greater righteousness that Jesus is talking about? And, and again, it has to do with the heart. So, so the first thing I want to say is uh, the new covenant reflects a forgiven heart. The new covenant reflects a forgiven heart. So again, we go back to Ezekiel chapter 36, our text. Then, then God says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. Notice he says, I will sprinkle clean water on you. I will cleanse you from all of your filthiness and from all of your idols. Forgiveness in the new covenant is, is not, it's something that's done for us, not by us. It's something that's given to us, not something that we earn. Forgiveness in the new covenant is something that God does, not something that we do. And so the word there in, in Ezekiel for cleanse, I will cleanse you of all of your filthiness, is the Hebrew word taher. And that word was used to talk about the purification of silver. Now, silver doesn't purify itself. Silver doesn't refine itself. S silver needs outside elements in order to go through the purification or the refining process. It takes incredible heat to melt the silver. And when the silver begins to be melted, the dross rises to the surface. Then somebody has to scrape the dross off the surface. And God says, I will cleanse you. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. In the new covenant, forgiveness is not something that you do. It's something that's done for you by God. It's grace and not works. So the problem in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament was for the people to be made right with God or to be righteous before God or forgiven, they had to continually bring sacrifices to the, to the temple. They had to offer animal sacrifices over and over. So day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, they had to bring these sacrifices to the temple. Sacrifices that could never fully forgive the people because they were animal sacrifices and not a perfect human sacrifice. In order for us to be forgiven of our sin required a perfect human substitute. So all of these animal sacrifices, they covered our sin, but they didn't really forgive our sin. But in the new covenant, we don't need to bring sacrifices because Christ did away with the need for more sacrifice. A couple of verses here. Acts 13, 38, and 39. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, so everybody say through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, Jesus, everyone who believes, not works, not offers sacrifices, but uh, believes, has faith in Jesus, is set free from every sin. A justification, that word means righteousness, an acceptance with God. A, a justification or righteousness you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses, because animals weren't a perfect sacrifice. And so we could, they could never be perfectly forgiven by God. So that's why over and over and over, they had to keep coming to the temple and offering sacrifices again and again through the hands of the priest. Hebrews chapter 10 says, under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. They just temporarily covered them. They, they were just holding on until the day that Christ would come when our sins would be once and for all forgiven, which can never take away sins. But our, pre, our high priest, Jesus, offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins. Good for how long? All time. 
For by that one offering, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy or, in, or being sanctified by God as Christians. And when sins have been forgiven, there is no need to offer any more sacrifices. So Jesus comes and he offers his body, he offers his life as a sacrifice. It's, it's not, not, nothing that we've done, but it's simply receiving what he's already done for us. God said, I will sprink, sprinkle you with clean water, I will make you clean, I will give you forgiveness, I will purify your life as silver if you believe in Christ. I will cleanse you by the blood of Christ who died on the cross. The problem is people today, Christians I found, and non-Christians are still trying to go to the temple every day and offer sacrifices for their sins trying to make up for all the things that they do wrong, thinking, if I do this, if I'm good, if I'm a better person, if I offer these sacrifices, then God will accept me and love me and I'll be righteous. No, Jesus did away with all of that. Forgiveness is now something that you receive. So one of the marks of the new covenant is a forgiven heart that comes by grace and not by works. It's simply received. It's not worked for. The second thing that the new covenant reflects is a responsive heart. Not just a forgiven heart, and forgiven by, by means that we can't do ourselves, but a responsive heart. Back to Ezekiel. I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. I, I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, what kind of heart? Responsive heart. So in the new covenant, our heart is changed. In the new covenant, God does a heart transplant when we, when we put our trust in Christ and receive the forgiveness of sin. He takes out the old stubborn, uh, hard heart, lifeless heart, and he gives us a, a human heart, a, a heart of flesh, a, a responsive heart, a tender heart, a heart that loves God. See, in the new covenant, we don't obey God because we have to. We obey God because we want to, because we have a, we have a, a different heart. He takes out of us that heart that was resistant to him and he gives us a heart that loves him. And so we want to serve God. We want to obey his law and keep his law now. So when I was in college, my sophomore year, I started dating Shirlene, who, who I would later marry. And we lived in, in the same apartment complex on campus, but, but different units or different sections, I guess. And out behind the apartments, there was a parking lot and there was a, a hose attached to, to the wall and students would wash their cars out there. And so... Uh, I, I was going to wash my car, and Shirlene might have known that I was going to wash my car, and she said, hey, could you, could you wash my car? And I said, yeah, do you want me to wax it too? <laughs> Come on, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> for, the, for that sweet little thing, there, there, there wasn't much that I wasn't going to do. She, she'd have me in her apartment. She'd say, hey, could you help me move this couch? Yeah, you want the chair moved too? What, 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 can, I, can I paint the wall? What, what, what else? <laughs> Does this sweet little thing, this little hottie, what else does she need me to do for her? Then I'd go home on the weekend, and I'd be sitting on a couch at my parents' house watching the game, and mom would come in and say, hey, could you, could you wash my car? No, I don't think so. I, I really need it. What? No, I'm not, I'm not feeling it right now. And she'd be like, really? And they were paying for some of my education. And so she'd continue to ask me to do that. And then, parents, you, you've never heard this with your teenagers, I'm sure. I'm like, well, I guess. Like if I have to, right? What's the difference, love? Well, I love my mom and dad, but I love this little thing a little bit more. And so I'm willing, I, I'm willing to wash her car out of love. Washing it for my parents was obligation. And, and that's the difference between the old and the new covenant. We now serve God out of love because we want to. 
Because of what he's done for us and he's changed our heart, now we have a responsive heart. We, we are aware of his love, we're aware of his goodness, we're aware of his grace, and we wanna, we wanna wash his car. We, we wanna move the furniture because of everything that he's done. It's not like, oh, I guess if I have to keep the law, if I have to do what pleases you, that totally changes because God gives us now a responsive heart. A couple of verses. 2 Corinthians 5, 9, so whether we are, Paul says, here in this body, meaning alive and on the earth, or whether we're away from this body, meaning dead physically, but in heaven, our goal or our desire is to do what? To, to please him. Paul says, as Christians, we want to please God now. It's not because we have to please him. We, we desire to do that. Philippians 2, 13, Paul says, God is working in you, giving you both the desire and the power or ability to do what pleases him. Everything changes in the new covenant. God forgives, forgives us. We have a forgiven heart by grace. We, we realize I don't have to work anymore to find acceptance with God. I don't have to work anymore to be righteous. God declares me righteous when I put my faith in Christ and he gives me a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you. I will put a new heart in you. I'll give you a heart transplant. I'll take out that old stony rebellious heart and I'll give you a compliant responsive heart. And so God begins to work that in our lives. That's part of the new covenant. Well, the third thing is not only does God give us a forgiven heart and a responsive heart, but he gives us a spirit-filled heart, a spirit-filled heart. So we go back to Ezekiel 36, 27. I will put, now he says, my spirit in you. Remember he said he'd give us a new spirit. That, that's the human spirit. That's our heart. Now he says, I'm going to give you my spirit so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. And then over in chapter 37, again, talking about the new covenant, I will put my spirit in you and you will live again, come to life and return home to your land. And then there were some promises for Israel related to that. But I will, I will put my spirit in you. Now here's where it gets cray cray, okay? Because to the Jews, uh, their, their only concept of where God lived or where God dwelt was the tabernacle or the temple. Like God dwelt in this holy building. God, God lived in this holy structure. And, and at first it was called the, the tabernacle, the tent in the wilderness. And then later it became the permanent temple in Jerusalem. And, and to them it was like God, God lives in that, in that building. This, this holy God that, that we can't even stand to be around his presence. This holy God that we fear. This holy and righteous God that, that we know from Scripture is this absolutely transcendent God, separate from sin, perfectly holy. That God lives in a building. And all of a sudden, Jesus is coming and saying, this is the new covenant. When that holy God is going to live in you, I'm going to put the Holy Spirit inside of you. And so Paul says this, in 1 Corinthians, don't you realize that your body is now the temple of the Holy Spirit? This holy God lives inside of you. Friends, sometimes I think we just need to stop and ponder that for a minute. You think of God in heaven and you think of the, the holiness, the, 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 the sanctified place that God lives in heaven, can't be in the presence of evil. And all of a sudden, Paul says, don't you, don't you know your body is the house of God who lives in you and was given to you by God? You don't belong to yourself for, for God bought you with a price. So honor God with your body. Doesn't that make sense? 
Like if the Holy God lives in you and God says, you are now the temple of the Holy Spirit, what are you doing with the body? What are you doing with the temple? Okay, this is blowing the minds of the Jews. What do you, what do you mean? This, this, this holy God doesn't live in the temple anymore, doesn't live in the tabernacle anymore, but now actually lives inside of me. One of the reasons this would have been so hard for the Jew to recognize was because of all of the stringent um, regulations and procedures that they had to go through to make the tabernacle and the, and the temple sanctified and consecrated so that God could dwell there. I'm going to walk you through some verses in Exodus, uh, and it's a little bit of a lengthy passage, but I want you to get the feel for what they went through in order to make the tabernacle holy so that God could dwell there. Here we go. Take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and all of its furnishings to consecrate them and make them holy. In other words, all the furniture, the, the table of the showbread, the altar of incense, the, the Ark of the Covenant, the, all, all of those things, uh, the lampstand, all, they all had to be consecrated with oil, holy oil. Anoint the altar of burnt offering and its utensils to consecrate them. Then the altar will become absolutely holy. Next, anoint the wash basin and its stand to consecrate them. Present Aaron and his sons at the entrance of the tabernacle and wash them with water. Dress Aaron with the sacred garments and anoint him, consecrating him to serve me as a priest. Then present his sons and dress them in their priestly garments. Anoint them as you did their father, so they may also serve me. So that they were clean enough to go into the tabernacle. They had to go through this cleansing, sanctifying process. Aaron's descendants are set apart for the priesthood forever from generation to generation. Next, Moses placed the wash basin. This was outside of the tabernacle, between the tabernacle and the altar where they, they sacrificed animals. He filled it with water so the priests could wash themselves, so the priests would sacrifice animals, and then if they would go into the tabernacle, be, before they got in there, there was a wash basin. They would clean themselves, washing their hands and their feet, so they were clean to go into the tabernacle. Moses and Aaron and Aaron's sons used water from the basin to wash their hands and their feet. Whenever they approached the altar and entered the tabernacle, they washed themselves, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Then he hung the curtains, forming the courtyard around the tabernacle and the altar. And he set up the curtain at the entrance of the courtyard. So at last, Moses finished the work. So every time they, they traveled, they had to pick up the tabernacle, pick up the tent, all of its utensils, carry it on poles and different things, and wherever the next location was for them to camp, wherever God had for them. Then they'd set it up, and because it, they had journeyed with it through the desert, uh, they had to go through that whole process again every single time to consecrate it, to make it. So that's in the mind of the Jew, the, this intricate, detailed, complex system of making this place holy. And then at the very end, then after they did all that, the cloud covered the tabernacle, tabernacle and the glory of the Lord did what? Filled the temple. The holy presence of God didn't come into the, into the temple or the tabernacle until it was clean. And the Holy Spirit doesn't come into our lives until we're clean, until we've been washed by the blood of Christ, until we've been completely sanctified, until we've become an adequate place for the presence of God to live. Now remember, verse one, uh, first point, forgiveness is by grace. It's not something we do. So when we surrender to Christ, the blood of Christ washes us internally and transforms us so that the presence of God can live in us. 
The new covenant, this, this greater righteousness, is an inward righteousness. It's a righteousness where our, our hearts are changed, our hearts are made pure, our hearts are made holy so that the presence of God can dwell in us. Amen? For God, who is holy, to live in a human building like a tabernacle, it had to be made holy. For God, who is holy, to live in a human person, we had to be made holy. We had to be made righteous on the inside in order to receive the Holy Spirit. Remember Jesus said, new wine needs new wineskins. You don't pour new wine into old wineskins, and Jesus isn't going to pour the new wine of the Holy Spirit into an old wineskin. He's going to transform the wineskin and make it new so that he can put the wine of his Spirit in there. We have to be made new by God. And it's then, when our hearts are transformed by faith in the new covenant, that we can begin to live this extraordinary life. This whole series is called Extraordinary, living according to the character of Christ. You can't do that in the flesh. You have to do that by God's Spirit, and you can't do it until you have a new heart and you've been transformed. When we receive that transformation, we can enter the kingdom of heaven. So if you are in Christ, you are a holy vessel. You've been cleansed through forgiveness. You've received the presence of God to live inside of you. And there have been times in my life where I've defiled the holiness of God in my life. Times when that holy temple felt really unholy. When I did things that didn't promote holiness, but defiled the temple that God had made me to be. Maybe you have too. Maybe through sexual sin or profane or other sins, you feel like you've defiled the temple. Do you know why we, as a Christian, we feel so bad when we sin? It's because we're mixing the holy with the profane. And that mixture of what's clean and unclean, that mixture of what's holy and what's unholy kind of makes us sick. For the Christian, there, there are times that we defile the temple. And in those moments, we simply have to remember that it's the blood of Christ that made the temple clean to begin with, and it's the blood of Christ that'll make it clean again. And so if you felt like you've defiled God's temple in your life. It's a prayer of confession. It's a prayer inviting the Lord to consecrate again the temple of God, to make clean again the temple of God that somehow has been made unholy in your life. And God is about restoration. Amen? God is about cleansing and restoring that which has been defiled in life. Lord, this morning we lift holy hands to you, hands that have been cleansed and sanctified by the blood of Christ. We lift holy hearts before you this morning, Lord, hearts that have been made new by the blood of the new covenant, hearts that have been changed by grace and not by works of the law. We thank you for an inner righteousness that surpasses any outer righteousness we could ever try to attain to. We thank you, Lord, that you make us perfect in Christ we thank you, Lord, this morning. Help us this week, Lord, 
to walk in a love relationship with you, to, to follow you because we love you, not because we have to. We pray, Lord, that you would make us mindful of what we do with your temple, to keep the temple holy, pure, and sanctified. In Christ's name. And everybody said, amen. If you need prayer this morning, we're going to have some folks up here to pray with you. Maybe this sermon stirred something up. Come on forward. Come on down. Receive prayer. God bless you.